All right, welcome to episode 21 of the Cowcast Shop Talk. All right, hello everyone. I'm Eric. I am James. And we are back to do another Shop Talk episode. Um, this one, we're going to do a little bit of discussion about some of the Marvel Retailer Summit items that came up. So, uh, obviously, we were not invited to participate. I think they said they took 10 of their top 100 retailers or something like that out there. So Not us. Not us. Uh, I'm sure we were just outside the cutoff line. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, sure. No, probably not. But um, either way, there was a lot that went on. Uh, a lot of things were reported. All the major comic and pop culture news Folks were reporting on it, ICV2, Newsarama, Bleeding Cool, you name it. And Well, it even got picked up by a lot of national outlets that don't yeah. carry comic books. So Yep. And it, it had one, legs. It was one of those things where we talked about doing a response to it. <coughs> we talked about doing a response to it, but uh you know, scheduling and then obviously letting everything die down a bit. So now that everyone else has had their say who Either was a retailer at the summit or some other person. A um, couple of retailers here in a somewhat smaller shop. I, you know, we're not the smallest shop in the world, but not in the top 100 of the Marvel sales channel. And I thought it'd be fun for us to give our inputs on it. Unsolicited from, I mean, I we're going into this with Eric surprising me with questions. So that's right. And it's not really questions. It's more of just these are some of the takeaways. What's your thoughts? What's my thoughts? So, yep. Um, <clears throat> I'm just going to kind of start at the at the top, and I, the other, the other thing I want to point out is that I'm not going to be taking any of the comments that Axel Alonso or David Gabriel or any of the retailers said. I'm just going to put the high level part of the discussion up there, and then we can debate it because I don't think it's fair to jump on any one person, whether it's an individual at Marvel, another retailer. Mm-hmm. These are just going to be our thoughts. Well, and I don't think I don't think there's going to be a lot of debate. Either because I think we're both generally pretty much on the same Probably. page with this stuff, but and I think it's also fair to say that um, what Marvel did, while it may have gotten them some at points negative publicity, uh, I think was the right thing to do. Their numbers have been starting to slide. Their certainly their sales have dropped off at <clears> the number <throat> ones or key things like that. Um, so I think it was a good idea for them to reach out to the different retailers out there. And get a sense for for what's going on. Well, I th- I think it was. I think in a perfect world it would have been a good idea. I think it ended up being a bad idea. I think it's the. I, I guess the best analogy that I can come up with is you telling your wife <clears throat> to save your marriage that you had an affair. You know, like I've got to do this. It's just got to. I've got to say it. We've got to address these things. Well, it might also end your marriage. You know. And then it might get out that you've had an affair and I'm not saying that what Marvel did is on the level of adultery, but I, but a lot of the issues that they brought up and the way that they address them, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff that we've been talking about and a lot of people on every, everywhere from comic book message boards to in the comic book store to conventions have been talking about for a while with Marvel. A lot of issues that people have been having with them. We've talked about a lot of them on pop past podcasts so i think we're probably not going to go through every every last number on the litany of things but um the fact is that a lot of it was just that kind of for i think for the longest time people saw it as typical comic book fans bitching about everything and never being happy and always having to complain 
Well, when you all of a sudden sort of admit culpability and say that the things that everyone's complaining about, that that's a very real, those are very real problems. And you put weight behind that argument. What they did was bring a lot of that into the light. And now it's being discussed on a more serious, I guess it took it from being a bunch of fanboys complaining about um, it, something that always, you know, people always say, Marvel's destroying my childhood or blah, blah, blah. It took it from a level of, of that type type of discussion, which is easily kind of cast off to being something that everyone's looking at and putting weight behind. And I think that that is the problem that they've had because now that everyone's talking about it, it's, a lot of it's compounding. When you have some of your own artists and writers that are coming out and speaking out against what you said, that's not a good thing. And on the subject of compounding it, we had this thing that came out with um, X-Men Gold number one where the artist hid anti-Christian and anti-Semitic uh, messages in the art. And um, it's, I think all this stuff, it's just, it's been a perfect one-two punch so far for Marvel. And everyone's sort of waiting to, to see what the third thing is going to be that really, you know, knocks them in the jaw because they have been taking hit after hit. And it started with, I think if they had not had this Marvel retailer summit, or if they would have handled it in a much different way, that this controversy with X-Men Gold probably would have been, I don't want to say completely overlooked, but it wouldn't have been as huge as it was because Marvel's very under the microscope. Yeah. So I don't think that it was something that they, all that to say, I don't think, I disagree that it was something that they needed to address. I think, or, or vocalize. I think they needed to address it, but I don't think they needed to in the way that they did. Yeah, and I guess I think the, the part that I liked about it was that they went to the retailers. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that was the right place to start. You know, your end customer, you've got, you know, 150,000, 5 million, doesn't matter what they are. Each one's going to have a different opinion. You go to the retailers, they're the ones that are kind of the aggregating the feedback, right? They're getting multiple people's thoughts and, and feedback, mm-hmm. and they can consolidate it and give it to you in one better one better piece, I guess, in my opinion. So. Yeah, that's true. But again, that when when you take people complaining on a message board, there's there's no there's no weight. There's really not a lot of weight behind that, you know. And these these are the people that complain, but they still continue to, in most cases, buy the books. They just complain about them. When Marvel complains about diver- Marvel themselves complain about diversity, and then um, you know MSN runs a front page story about. Marvel Comics says diversity in comics does not work. Well, is it sort of taken out of context a little bit? But again, the way that they handled it, just it, it opened themselves up to being, to having everything taken out of context, you know? Sure. So I, I, that was I a, really... That's a great segue. Yes. Uh, we didn't plan that. That's a great segue. So the first item I was going to ask you about is kind of the new characters versus the old characters and how the diversity plays out. So we did hear feedback from Marvel saying that, well, clearly diversity doesn't sell. We tried to push diversity. We know a lot of our people want to hear and see diversity, and it didn't sell. What say you? Well, the problem isn't – it's not diversity. The problem is quality content. As we've talked about before, it, you can't push – I think Marvel takes characters like – Moon Girl from Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and they want that to be it's not a it's it doesn't sell very well but Marvel wants that to be their next big character good for them for trying to push an original character 
Good for them for trying to push a diverse original character. But at the end of the day, the sales reflect that nobody, most people don't care about the book. The book does not sell well. So you have to move on, you know, move on. It's not, it's not the diversity doesn't work. It's that this character doesn't work. And because the character is a minority, that, that has no reflection on the appeal of minority characters. Again, abandoning comics is a rich legacy of generational characters. DC more than anyone with the way that they went from uh, Alan Scott to Hal Jordan to Kyle, well, Guy Gardner and everybody else in between. Um, and you had Jay Garrick to Barry Allen to Wally West. All of that stuff, it, it works. Nobody really complains about Wally West being, uh, I don't know, Johnny come lately, I guess, or being just a character that was whipped up. I guess, I guess all three of the flashes were white guys, though. So maybe that's not the greatest. Well, you've example, got, but you've got Robins, even even uh, bringing in females. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's that generational. You've got Dick Grayson. You've got you know all your different Robins right. that are built in. So I see that. Um, but but yeah. again, why why can it work in some instances? Why can why can you take a character like Bucky and a character who, who with along with Uncle Ben, was one of the few characters that was always going to stay dead, right? Never bring back Bucky or Uncle Ben for the longest time. Then they brought back Bucky. But they did it in such a great way that everybody loved it. And now Winter Soldier is a huge character. Um, <clears throat> again, I guess maybe it's not a great argument because he's another white guy. You can have good generation characters. There just has to be something behind it. There has to be something to make it good. And for whatever reason, the Sam Wilson Captain America book doesn't sell well. It just doesn't. It, and again, it has nothing to do with him being black. Right. It has everything to do with people don't want to buy the book. The people that were buying the book are dropping the book, at least in our store. But if you look at the numbers of the book and the performance of the book, it's, you know, the numbers trend downward. They always trend downward once you get to a certain number in a series, and I understand that. But when you have a Captain America book that in our store we have, I think, three people getting, that's horrible. And it's hard to... People don't pick it up off the shelf. We made this argument a couple podcasts ago that the sad thing is people will look at this and, and a lot of people will say that it's the failure of a black Captain America. And that's, I don't think that that it's is not the, the case. case at all. It's the failure of taking the Falcon and shoehorning him into being Captain America. Right. And a product of the writing that goes along with that too. Um, and there's no, that's, I guess the biggest problem. And that's why maybe the Falcon's a great example is that all of it does seem completely forced taking I think Wally West debuted in Flash 110. What did that? I mean, that came out, must have come out in what, 1961 or 62 or something. And it took Wally West all the way until Crisis on Infinite Earths, 25, 26, 27 years later, to become the Flash. He was a character that was around. He had paid his dues. He had earned becoming the Flash. Um, I don't think that comic fans, by and large, hate change. They, they don't right. like change at all. And to, again, to shoehorn somebody in, um, comic fans are going to be apprehensive about that 
even if it, if you're replacing some, I, I was going to say replacing someone with a complete clone of themselves, but look what happened when they did that in Spider-Man. Right. Even that, <laughs> you took a, you took somebody who was a clone of Peter Parker and everybody complained about it. So, um, I don't know. I get, I just think it's more a symptom of comic fans not wanting change. And that's, that's sort of the, that's on one side. And the, then on the other side, the far extreme there is Marvel trying to shoehorn characters in that, that these people that are already, already, uh, apprehensive about new characters or characters being replaced, they don't want them anyways. And now they're trying to force characters on them that are, the complete antithesis in many cases of what the character originally was in the case of Sam Wilson and Captain America. I just think that the diversity thing, when it, when the diversity bit was going in Marvel in the seventies and they came out with Luke Cage and the Falcon Mm -hmm. and they came out with black Goliath and DC had black lightning. You had a ton of good characters that came out because they were now Luke Cage was, you know, of course he, played off the black exploitation films of the 70s but he's still a character that he was big you know they, they put yeah. he was in you bought spider-man luke cage was in it. you bought a lot of different books luke cage was in it he was a character that people liked and marvel pushed him the right way but they didn't take luke cage when luke cage came out and they didn't make him captain america you know right. the falcon was in was a new original character when he came out and I, again the diversity thing is not the issue it's taking these diverse characters and turning them into someone else that's the problem. And I think that, that that's an even bigger problem from for Marvel with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the reason I say that is uh, it's happened when one of the few days that I've been in here working where a father and son came in and the son was over at the new comic rack and he saw the Sam Wilson Captain America and and he said, Dad, I wanted a Captain America book. And his dad pointed to it and said, here you go. And he's like, that's not Captain America. And... And that's not this, you know, nine-year-old boy being racist. That's just the fact that mm-hmm. the movies that he's seeing, Captain America is Steve Rogers. And he's expecting when he goes to buy his first Captain America book, he's going to see Steve Rogers. And you take that away, and now you've automatically closed the door. Because one of two things is going to happen. If we're lucky, that kid and the father are going to come and ask us, is there another Captain America that he could get that would mm-hmm. help him understand and, and maybe correlate here? Or it's our job to hear them say that and say, well, actually, right. we've Which got is, a thousand other issues of Captain America over thankfully here. Thankfully, what I was able to do, but then you run the risk of the other end of the spectrum of, uh, I guess, I, I don't know, let's just go. Mm-hmm. And that's lost. And and that is that is part of the problem to me with what Marvel has been doing by taking these characters and changing them. Right now, the face of Marvel Comics is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. More people see that in six months than see comic books in a year. Mm -hmm. And by switching those mainstay characters out, like you said, shoehorning these new or diverse characters that are other in other places in the MCU and trying to fit them in is wonderful that they're they're trying to focus on diversity. I get it. I have a three-year-old daughter. I want her to grow up knowing that she can be a strong, independent woman. I want her to be comfortable with all races, religions, sex, creeds, whatever it is. And that's great. I get that. But if you're trying to make money on legacy characters, you can't change the legacy characters and expect the money to follow all the time. Mm-hmm. There are very few select cases where it works. And in my opinion, that's because the quality of the content is king. 
G. Willow Wilson making Miss Marvel with Kamala Khan. Do the old Miss Marvel people necessarily relate to the new Miss Marvel? Not really. There are some crossovers, but there's a lot more people that enjoy Miss Marvel because they can relate to it in some way or ultimately because the stories are good. And that is what sells books. Good stories. Yeah. It, again, that's an example, though, where Carol Danvers is still around. And Carol Danvers is probably a bigger face in the Marvel Universe right now than Kamala Khan is. Agreed. Especially, and you look at where they where they know their bread is buttered with that character. Brie Larson is playing Captain Marvel in the upcoming movie, not Kamala Khan. She's playing Carol Danvers. Yep. Uh, so they know between the two characters who's going to be more identifiable and, and who's going to be the easier... I don't want to say easier sell. Maybe that's not a great way to put it, but you know, if, if again, Kamala Khan, highly rated book, mm-hmm. it sells well enough, you know, not great for us, but it sells well enough, but it's an instance where the Carol Danvers character, why at the end of the day, you have to look, what a company is going to look at is what's going to make us more money. Right. And if Disney can look at this and say, we know that, Carol Danvers is the character that's going to make money for us. You know, wh- why Why can't that trickle down to Marvel? Um, again, they make, they make both. There's a Kamala Khan and a Carol Danvers, but that should trickle down in other ways where they say, maybe we should stick with these things that are going to make us money. Disney, Disney is better than anyone at knowing what sells and making money. You know, look what they did with uh, Lucasfilms. Um, and they can identify what works in the movies and what the movie-going public wants. And I don't think that they're making those decisions based on diversity quotas. I think that there is... And quota is another one of those bad words. When people say there's a quota, they go, well, you're just, you know, you're minimizing everything. And I... What I mean... You know what I mean. I think yeah. everybody knows what yeah. I mean. But yeah. um, I think they need to do what what Disney's doing and identify that at the end of the day, they're selling a product and they're entertaining people. They're entertaining. Well, they're entertaining people. They're selling a product, but they need to put their company first. They need to put their, I, you know, the shareholders first and make product for people that's going to sell. And if you keep sticking your hand in a fire and you keep getting burned, eventually it's going to be your fault when you keep putting your hand in, in the flame and then complain that you're getting burned because you found out the first time and the second time and the third time and you kept doing it. They need to identify what's not selling. Com- Retailers are not complaining about these books. We're not complaining that Sam Wilson's selling horribly and that we, you know, that we just don't want that or the, I guess the um, Hydra Cat book sells well enough for us, but I think if they would just have a classic cat book again, Consolidated to one, it would sell. We would sell at least two to three times as many as we do right now of both of those books put together. And they they need to just as a retailer when we say something like that, we we don't care if the the main character is an alien, if he's black, if he's purple, if he's an Indian. We don't care. We just want a book that's going to sell. And yep. Marvel sees that it's not selling. We see that it's not selling. That's why. And and all these retailers that are complaining. They see that this stuff isn't selling, and that's why they're complaining. It has nothing to do with an agenda. It has nothing to do with um, 
with diversity. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with where are the sales? You know, at the end of the day, it's a business. So we we need to have things that are going to support our business so we can support Marvel. And the cycle continues. Right. You know, but right now, that's not happening. So another great segue. Let's talk about expanding those mainstay characters or those high-selling franchises within Marvel and what kind of a detriment that is. So two cap books. Mm-hmm. What do we got? Three, four Spider-Man books right now? Well, the Spider-Man 2099, the Miles Morales Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Renew, Renew Your, Your Vows, Vows. Um, Spider-Gwen, if you count that as a Spider-Book, Silk, but I think that's being canceled. Which, right there, okay, that's another great example. Silk and Spider-Gwen, both ongoing series, both out at the same time. I, I just, you know, obviously Silk being canceled showed that there was not a market for two female Spider-Man characters having their own lead book coming out monthly. Spider-Woman, which is also getting canceled. Spider-Woman, that's right. Three books, three books. If they could, they make a, a monthly book that is an anthology book. Could right. they make a Spider Women book? You know that would that would sell four ninety nine a month, but you get three different yep. stories in it. Is that a way to do it? Because if they say, I want to jump ahead to one thing. Can we identify the uh, where was it? The thing we're talking about miniseries because that kind of feeds in. Oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. Well, you want to just read uh, read that really quick. The reboots and restarts. Well, no, there's something where they talked about miniseries, where they said that they're just... so Yeah, yeah, the reboots and the restarts, why they did that. You able to uh, find that? Let's see. Well, they've, they've got the reboots because uh, once they get past issues 15, 16, 17, their numbers are dipping. They're not able to get them back up. So what do they do to get them up to 150000 or so per month? They find that the number one issues are the things that get them the most. So they're they're doing that to capitalize. Um, however, problem with renumbering is it clouds the sequence of books um, so that, especially when they're in collected format, how do you know which order to read them in, especially if you're a trade waiter? So, Well, there's something else in there where they talked about miniseries. And I, somebody must have asked them, why do you let these books go five, like Rocket Raccoon, why do you let a book go five issues and then you reboot it with a new number one, even though you originally built this as an ongoing series? And they said, I think it was David Gabriel that said, Miniseries just don't sell. That they're a death death knell for a series if you announce that it's a miniseries. Um, but the problem is people are catching on to this now. And I think instead of having a number one, a new number one being a jumping on point, it is easily a jumping off point for most people because they see that when when they can no longer tell the difference between a new ongoing series that's launched versus, and we've talked about this before when we brought up why they launched three Squadron Supreme miniseries or ongoing series almost at the same time. And Chris pointed out that at you know as the sales started dipping on issue five or six of Squadron Supreme, the first issue of Nighthawk came out and that kind of picked up some of the, the lap sales. And then as you hit the, the last couple issues of that, then the first issue of Hyperion came out or whatever order it was. Uh, but that was kind of our just our thought that they were trying to keep those sales up that would decline by a certain issue. But now we know that those were de facto miniseries that were launched to be 
essentially miniseries, but they called them ongoing series. They had every intention to cancel them. By the time that they had Nighthawk and Hyperion solicited, those books had already been shadow canceled. You know, and and that's the danger that they've got right now is why is anybody anyone going to jump on a new number one of any second or third tier character when they can't when Marvel has admitted that their own series, if they're a mini series, they're not even going to announce it. How can you get excited to jump on a new ongoing Rocket Raccoon series when the previous series just had its last issue at issue five and that was supposed to have been an ongoing series? You know, I think. If miniseries, if they're saying that miniseries don't sell, then they did a very, very, very bad thing by saying that there is now no line between miniseries and ongoing series because they've disenfranchised people against picking up new books of I think any any second or third tier character. Well, let's let's jump back even to the first tier characters, and we're talking about just exhausting that line. Let's go mm-hmm. Deadpool. I mean, well, they announced okay. So the Deadpool thing they announced in this uh, this retailer summit thing too. Uh, David Gabriel said that Deadpool kills the Marvel universe has been their top selling trade for the last two three years. For the last two or three years, okay. and that they're throwing all of this stuff. It's just like anything else. Like we just said before, it all comes down to money, right? And if they don't care, think about the amount of money that they make off of. That Deadpool versus the Marvel Universe kills the Marvel Universe trade versus how much they made off of selling the original four issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. It's not even comparable. Uh, so they don't really care if they saturate the market with these trades or these miniseries that they they have very middling sales. We had Deadpool versus Gambit, Deadpool Back in Black, Deadpool Too Soon, Deadpool the Duck. Mm-hmm. What am I missing? Uh, for just the minis? Well, you're yeah. going to have a new Deadpool vs. Punisher coming out. Yep, Deadpool vs. Punisher. So these are all coming out. Generally, there's there's going to be one or two or three of them. Like issue four or five will be coming out by the time issue two is out of the next one. And there's they have this overlap where it's almost like they're... It's almost like a second ongoing series or even a third in some instances. They have so many books coming out, but they're doing it as they explained, for the sole reason that they hope one of them will catch fire and become a perennial trade seller. Something where it's going to be, you know, complete, it'll constantly chart at number five on the Amazon best-selling graphic novels of 2017. That's what they're going for. They're going for that, that bookstore placement. They're going for the, the trade sale down, down the road. They don't really care necessarily about the, the sales of the mini series itself. Well, then on top of it, you've got Deadpool, Deadpool and the Mercs for Money, Spider-Man yep. Deadpool, and Gwenpool. Oh, yeah, Gwenpool. Unreal. I mean, uh, you just, it just gets to be too much. And now mm-hmm. then you can look at Guardians of the Galaxy. You've got Guardians of the Galaxy. You've got Rocket. You've got, oh, Deadpool, Slapstick. Groot. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Deadpool's got uh, Slapstick. Uh, I think Solo was billed as a Deadpool tie-in. Deadpool tie-in. But either way, I mean, what we're, I guess what we're saying is that they have, it's kind of like it would be, this is for us, like if you were somebody that was really into Alex Jones and then the government came out and said that they actually are growing babies and cows or uh, they were going to, you know, show the alien bodies. This is like us right here re- reading this 
Marvel interview, all the stuff that we, for the longest time that we thought, I wonder if that's going on. We're like, hallelujah. Somebody could, they finally said it. They've admitted to it. Right. We were crackpots. We were right the whole time. And this mini series junk where you cannot tell the difference between it's getting to the point where there are, there are a lot of Marvel books coming out that I am afraid to order a number one of because yeah. where, where normally in the past you would have gotten guaranteed sales at the very least on that first issue. You know that if you can't get anyone to pick up the first issue, no one's picking up the second or the third, no matter what. Yep. Uh, and the brand is just so diluted. And again, we've known for the longest time, or we felt, I should say, that they're, that they were just pushing out these ongoing series that should have been mini series to kind of capture the, the falling sales of the, the, the series behind it. And they finally admitted to that. They've admitted to the fact that they don't really care necessarily about the performance of a miniseries. What they care about is the that they might catch lightning in a bottle with the trade later on. You know, they don't care about it. So they're saturating the market with these with these short-term books, hoping to get one long-term sale with a good trade. All this stuff is a it's a just a horrible business practice uh, for us. You know, we because any comic store, yeah, we sell trades, but we rely on those on the the monthlies on the those periodicals to sell those should, from week to week we those have should to drive a, drive the industry they should they should but if they push everyone away from the market if they push people away from from being interested in whatever new product is coming out then what does it matter if they catch one of these lightning in a bottle trades again in 4 or 5 months if nobody cares anymore, who cares? You know, then then your lightning doesn't matter if it's in a bottle or not. If nobody cares, so let's play off the miniseries thing and go to event fatigue. A number of retailers mentioned that you know their their subscribers, whatever, are feeling event fatigue in the form of too many back to back to back, all universe changing, everything's different, mm-hmm. all new, all different. Um, Events. Then add on top of that. Oh, this one's actually nine issues. Oh, this one's actually going to be eight issues. Oh, this one's three months late. Oh, this one's. Our books are starting to come out now before the event is even finished, and they are all based on the ending of the event. I mean, right. That's that's something that has been, I think, plaguing Marvel for a couple of years now. Yeah, and, and then heard... your events that are continuously so broad. You know, Civil War covering everything. I mean, just. All these different events that get so big and so many tie-in issues, subscribers are—they don't—they're not coming in and saying, "I want all you know, thirty-four titles that tied into mm-hmm. this." They don't want it. They don't care. Yeah, and I heard some. We had this conversation in the store last week. Somebody played devil's advocate and said, "Well, uh, Marvel—at least Marvel's being honest about it. DC's doing the same thing, but they're doing it." Um, you know, under the radar by having look at Justice League, Suicide Squad, and blah. And then I don't think that's the case at all. And I, I think that's and I think that's completely different. And it is even if it's not different, they executed it. They gave us a schedule two months, three months in oh, advance. Right, right. They hit every single date, every issue. Nothing was late. Absolutely. Uh, you look at what DC did for and it was Rebirth, two books, right? For Rebirth, Rebirth was one eighty-page book. Yeah, one eighty-page book. It was two ninety nine, and then it was five ninety nine, and the subsequent printings, and that's all you needed to jump into Rebirth. I don't think that Marvel would ever bring themselves to do anything like that. I think that they would need to turn it into a road to Rebirth, and then they would have to turn it into the 
Rebirth 12-issue series that would take 18 months to come out. The Rebirth... Repercussions. Reper- or, yeah, Or yeah. the Rebirth Ripple or something. Rebirth Repercussions that would be another six-issue series. Meanwhile, about issue seven of Rebirth, Marvel Rebirth, that is, all the Marvel Rebirth number ones would have been out, would have spoiled the end. Yep. So I just... There's so everything that they have been doing for the last couple of years, it's bloated. It's all a road to nowhere. All of their events have somebody might die, but but you know, like the the Nick Fury thing. Boy, I mean, uh, I think it was Original Sin, where Nick Fury ended up getting replaced by his son, who just happened to look like Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> and happened to lose an eye and had to wear an eye patch. I think they're. Even a lot of their big events where something does happen, you can tell that it's just completely editorially driven yeah. to get it to, to a certain status quo that might be a little bit... And maybe that... Now, we just said that they, they're not reflecting what's going on in the movies. But what about when they do try to reflect what's going on in the movies with like the Nick Fury thing? Sure. Where they say, if everybody knows about Nick Fury from the movies and they come in here and he's a white guy that fought in World War II... Maybe people aren't going to understand who that is, so we'll make Nick Fury look more like this, like Sam Jackson. But why do they take that route with Nick Fury, who's a minor character, and have the larger characters not reflect? You know, like that. That's I'd like to get an idea into that mindset. Right. Why it's in, why with that guy with that character they had to go out of their way to make him just like the movie version. But with Captain America and Thor and these other characters that are the, the big A-listers. Why they're completely different. At what point does editorial decide to get their act together and say, this is what we want to reflect the movie verse or at least have the characters reflect it. This is what we're going to do. I, I think that they don't even have their, you know, I, it's almost like one hand doesn't know what the other's doing. And I think they, they've, something's got to give. I think all of this media criticism that they're getting, I think everybody actually talking about this in the open without the stigma of being, uh, you're, your stereotypical comic nerd that complains about everything. I think something's going to have to happen at this point. And whether or not that's some kind of top-down direction from Disney telling them that they need to start making money for the company, um, we I don't know, maybe that might be what happens. But we talked before about the diversity thing before one time in one of the podcasts. And I said my theory on the whole thing was that it wasn't Marvel trying to necessarily be proactive about pushing diversity as much as it was maybe them being an IP farm to come up with characters that could be turned into animated shows or movies or whatever, you know, creating new characters that can be licensed. And if that was the case, if it was dri- if it was more Disney driven to come up with intellectual properties, they're not doing it right. Right. So whatever the case is, maybe Disney does need to get involved I if I now if I recall correctly, for at least understand the relationship between the two of them. The Marvel movie studios are almost completely separate from Marvel. They only report to Disney. They don't even really have anything to do with the Marvel company anymore. Whereas the TV side of things, I think that's still under Ike Perlmutter and basically under the Marvel umbrella. I wonder if they need to if Disney needs to do what they did for the movie side of things, the the ever successful movie side of things and say, 
your leadership here is not working. We need to replace it with someone who does and you you will report to us, you know, and whether that's taking, I'm sure that the big wigs at Disney don't want to have to hear about, hear from editors about story plans for the next six months. They're not going to care, but what they're going to want to see then, they're going to have to be responsible for getting the numbers and saying, this is working. We're going to keep doing it. And if it's not working, the, the people that are in charge are going to say, why isn't working? Stop doing it and do something different. Maybe something different would be thin down what you're pushing out. DC, I think now is, as this episode's going up, has topped Marvel again in the monthly sales. They did for a few months with Rebirth and then dropped back down, but they have now again. And to me, that's indicative. And, and I haven't they've done seen that. that. With, how, with, how much? It was uh, it was razor thin. Okay, but they did beat them by I think a percent in hmm. units. Marvel won on price obviously because of their overpriced single issues. That's a discussion for a different day. Um, you mean like a nine ninety nine issue of Amazing Spider Man twenty five, right. or just four ninety nine? Every first issue is four ninety nine. Uh, anyways, um, but I think part of it is DC did it with two thirds the amount of titles, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, you've got Batman, you've got Detective Comics, you've got Trinity, which has Batman, Wonder Woman. You know, you've got some titles like that, uh, but you don't have as deep on as many characters and the and the stories that they're telling by and large can still wrap in and fit in with one another mm-hmm. and i think that that's something that obviously jeff johns is kind of helping to spearhead more cohesive universe um and i think that that's one thing that marvel seems to be straying from and there's really only two marvel books that i'm personally invested in every month i'll page through other ones as they come in just to kind of see what the tone is see where things are going um but i think what what I look at is Silver Surfer and Renew Your Vows. And the reason I look at Silver Surfer is because it's virtually, for the most part, unaffected by all the hoo-ha that's happening everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that. It's my little cosmic world. It's fantastic. It's well-written. The art is gorgeous. Renew Your Vows. I have a young family, husband, wife, and daughter. It's very much something I can relate to because I do have superheroes. Obviously, you know that. You see them around here all the time. Um I'm just kidding for everybody listening, but it's that family vibe and it's, it's, it is, it's well written and it's enjoyable to read. And so I like those two. And to me, it's because it's entertaining and it's quality content. I don't sit there going, what? That doesn't make sense. Or boy, this is just getting drawn out. Can we wrap this thing up? I mean, I think the first Renew Your Vows arc was four issues. Hmm. That's perfect. Well, now Marvel has announced that they're going to go back to in, at least in a majority of books, they're going to go back to legacy numbering. Yeah. Now, some of that number... Okay, a couple things there. Get your some slide rule ready right. because it's going to be fun to get to those numbers. Some of those numbers are going to be very, 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 very circumspect. I think that they're... How close are we to the major milestone number? Or how close can we get to that so that we well, can they're fact- have a $10 Well, that's the thing. They factor issue. everything in. So Venom is going to be... I think it, it's next month. Venom is going to go from issue 6 to 150. Now they're, fa- they're what they're doing is they're factoring in it's all how they the- just got to that that big milestone number. Yeah, they're factoring <laughs> in all the mini series that Venom's had over the years, all of the ongoing series that Venom has had, and they're getting to 150. I you know I I guess I don't see the the point in doing that when Action and Detective returned to the legacy numbering that made sense. Yeah, and the way they did it because of Rebirth, Clean Break, yep. New Fifty Two is is over here. But Amazing Spider Man did that. Amazing Spider-Man had the jump when um, did Fantastic Four did that too? 
Um, I don't remember. Okay. But Spider Amazing Spider-Man did that. They had a new number one in, I don't know, I, four or five hundreds. And then I think around issue, it was like 25 or something, J. Michael Straczynski came on, wrote the book for a while. And then when they hit what would have been issue 500, they renumbered back to the original numbering, ran it through to 700, relaunched it with a new number one. And I think they're on the third iteration of that now. But they've done it before, but the big thing is it doesn't stick because every time, because Daredevil reached issue 100, big, big issue 100, milestone issue 100. And then shortly after that, Daredevil hit issue 500 because it was the legacy numbering that they brought back. So I wonder when, how long is that going to last? You know, like when they get to issue, I don't know. And I have, I don't even have a clue what, how they're going to do X-Men. Uh, where they're going to continue that from. Like, are they going to take X-Men Blue and Gold? They're coming out this month. X-Men Gold already came out. Blue's coming out. Uh, how are they going to choose to do that? Are they going to take one of those and renumber them to Uncanny and renumber the other one to the regular X-Men book? Or are both of those books going to get canceled right now and then they're going to relaunch Uncanny X-Men? What are they going to do with Captain... I mean, do we know that because Marvel announced a return to legacy numbering... Are all of the series that everyone's reading right now, are all of those going to be finite? You know, are they going to relaunch those at issue X-Men? Great example. Would it be big for them if they just did the legacy numbering at issue 637? Nobody's, I mean, that's what they did with Action and Detective for DC, but again, a little bit of a different story. Mm-hmm. Or are they going to wait and say, we're going to wait another four months until X-Men Gold hits nine issues, and then we can relaunch it at 650, which is a nicer, rounder number for a big relaunch. You know, I just, I worry about the how they decide to get to the numbers that they want to get to for the legacy numbering, and how long, when it how hits that it legacy numbering, there? it's going to last. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. There's no... For a while there, people thought when Amazing Spider-Man was coming out three times a month that it might overtake Action or Detective. Or at the very least that they may hit parity with reaching issue 1000 if they could have kept that pace up. And obviously that, you know, not the case. But I think that I wonder how much of it is Marvel legitimately viewing it as competition that, that DC is going to going to keep the legacy numbering with those big books and they're going to hit a thousand you know and they're going to do it soon mm-hmm. within two years yeah I, I just I guess it, the whole thing to me just seems like another gimmick yep where we where we used to be excited about them going back to the legacy numbering now we're just wondering how long is it when's the other shoe going to drop right right well and you know there's more that we could get to on on the numbering and the books and things like why sales precipitously drop off, especially after number ones where you have a one in 1,000, one in 500, one in 250, you know, these things that in hyperinflate numbers just to drop mm-hmm. off. And we've talked about that before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Um, we got a few more minutes, and there's one thing that I want to hit on. And it's probably the one thing that, um, as a retailer, it didn't frustrate me as much, but as a reader, consumer, you know, subscriber, that really irked me was when Alonzo made the statement that artists no longer drive sales. And 
the only two artists he could point to that he says in Marvel will drive sales are McNiven and Coipel. And to me, that is, number one, I think it's a slap in the face for all the artists that are currently working on their books. Well, it is. And number two, it's indicative to me that he is not aware of the talent he has around him or he chooses not to recognize that. So I originally said we weren't going to try and dig into what mm-hmm. individuals said, but in this case, that is, those are words from his mouth, and I think that that was wrong. I'm... I'm not. I'm not going to go ahead and agree with him 100. But I do want to play devil's advocate on it and say that there are very few superstar. From when when we were kids and we were waiting, when I was waiting in line because Rob Liefeld was going to be at a comic store and there was a line around the block. And I'm not even bringing up the the, the you know artistic talent of the people back then, but we're just saying as far as superstar names. Of artists that sold books back then, there were so many of them. You could take any of these people and put them on a book, and, you, and it would sell because of them. Sure. Uh, the day of the superstar artist is pretty much over. You know, you can. I have to say that for a, to a certain degree, he is absolutely right on that, and the market has completely transformed from what it was twenty twenty five years ago, from being an artist based medium to a completely, a completely writer writer-based medium. People are following, they're following Garth Ennis, they're following Ed Brubaker, they're following Brian K. Vaughan, they're following Bendis, uh, for better or worse, mostly worse these days, but they're following these writers because it doesn't matter who the who the artist is, they're know, they know that they're going to get a good story. And I think that the entire medium has kind of shifted to the, shifted to people really understanding that it's not all about a kick-ass splash page by Rob Liefeld, it's about people are, are primarily reading this. The, the the things that this medium is producing is they want a good story and they want good art to go with it, but they don't need great art. Is what we've what we've found out here. They don't need great art to go with their great story. Good well, art will suffice. So the problem is they don't have great stories in a lot of their books. No, they don't. And that's that's but, a big that's a big problem. But what his comments speaks to me as mm-hmm. is someone who is in the sandbox throwing his fist down. Because you look around. Well, their writers are, they're hemorrhaging good writers. They're hemorrhaging artists too. Or they can't retain them or get them. Now think about it. Who are some of the biggest artists out right now? Capullo. DC. Mm-hmm. Or Image, right? You've got, he granted, he's also writing, but he's done work for Marvel before. Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. Right? DC. You've got. Well, Jim Lee, but obviously. Jim we know Lee. The DC. Story behind that. Right. But you've got a number of these people that are either DC or they're doing image stuff. Fiona Staples, obviously, Saga, did the three issues of Archie. Mm-hmm. Does she move the needle? In some circles, yes. In others, no. Um, Jerome Pena on 7 to Eternity, right? He did the first six issues. Now it's going to switch over to, uh, I can't remember, Matt, someone, I think. But um, no, it's not a an artist-driven sales figure anymore. But I do believe that there are artists out there that do move the needle. Capullo is one of those artists. You, when you talk about Scott Snyder doing Batman with Greg Capullo, you go to Scott Snyder doing All-Star Batman, the sales are up there, but not like Capullo. Now, this new metal thing that they have just announced that's going to be Snyder and Capullo, mm-hmm. I guarantee you it's going to be back up there. And I tell you what, there were some good stories that St- that Snyder told on the New 52 run. 
For me, namely the first two that he told were the good ones. The first two arcs. Outside of that, it was mediocre to me. Now, you take Greg Capullo and you put his art on there and I buy every book because I find that to be a visual feast. And a lot of other people do too. So Uh, to say that artists can't move the needle I think is incorrect. No, I agree. To say that an artist can propel a book or carries the book I don't think is is true either. I think it's a medium. Comic books are like – no, comic books have changed as a medium. They've changed like music has changed. Where you you have very few bands that are – Less than 15 years old, they can sell out an arena. They can sell out a, a football field. Um, I, there are not many bands that you could take from the last 15 years that could sell out Soldier Field, you know. But you take Guns N' Roses on the reunion tour, which I saw last year, and they will sell out Soldier Field, you know. And, and I'm not a big fan of the guy's music, but Bruce Springsteen, um, he was, I think, the top touring artist last year. You know, these are not new artists that are touring and selling out. Just like comic books. There are, there are the, you could take these guys that are the kind of the comic equivalent of the Guns N' Roses. If McFarlane did all interiors for a book next week. Oh, sure. That book would move. But the, the medium has changed just like the music industry has changed. And it's just because a, a, a band from 10 years that came out 10 years ago can't sell out an arena like the Rolling Stones can doesn't mean that the band isn't great. It just means that like he said, they're not, they're not driving the sales of the book. Um, now the, I guess the, the biggest issue is, like we said, that if he's using that as an example for why some of their books aren't moving when they are hemorrhaging their, their top writers, then that is a problem. You know, if, if it's a writer driven market and he's acknowledging that, then what are you doing? Then to fix what the it? hell are they doing? Then they're, they're losing all their great writers. You know, that's the biggest problem. But I, but I do think, like I said, to use the music industry analogy, I think that I think there are very very few people now that are a Todd McFarlane or a Jim Lee, and and that skill or talent wise could be much better or be just as dynamic. But just like there are bands that are going to be as good as the Guns N' Roses and as good as the Rolling Stones, and certainly as good as Bruce Springsteen. They're not going to sell out arenas. And it has nothing to do with the quality of their music. Just like the artists not selling books has nothing to do with the quality of their art. It's just that the medium is is a different medium than it was 20 years ago. And I think that it is totally reflected, especially with Marvel. Now, you look at what happened with Image and the Image Exodus. I think that they have, I think they know that. And I think that it, it is a deliberate thing where they have, not wanted artists to, to become bigger than the books that they're working on. Exactly. Now, I was going to say, yes, the the comic industry has, has changed, but what distinguishes comics from novels? The visual... Well, art and words. But, but again, it... And you can't... Art and words, you have to have art. Good art helps sell books. Bad mm-hmm. art hurts book sales. No, that's that's true, but the quality of the writing is what changes a book from being something that the that the sixth graders all look at and trace on you know when they're they're in their lunch hour in grade school to people just happen to to read you know saga on a bus or on a train or on a plane when they're when they're at a coffee shop you know there's a humongous difference and that is not that 25 year old 
girl that's reading Saga in the coffee shop. She's not reading it because of the art. She might like the art, but it's she's picking it up because of the story, you know? And she's not the type of person that's probably going to come in and buy McFarlane doing Spider-Man because of the art. I, the, the medium has changed. The people that it's appealing to, in a lot of instances, have changed. And I think that Marvel is, in, at least in this instance, correct that artists don't necessarily move books on name alone anymore. But everything else that they said going with that statement was wrong, and the way that they approached it was wrong. So I'm going to tentatively agree with him, but disagree with him in the same breath. Fair enough. So um, I think that'll wrap us up for kind of the discussion, the Marvel Roundup. So basically what, so. what we've come down to is the dirty laundry has been aired. Uh, I think a lot of people, like you said, a lot of retailers have been validated in what they've seen and felt over these last few, you know, decade maybe or more. Um, it's all starting to be verbalized and, and reassured and reaffirmed for that matter. Uh, there's a lot that they can do to improve. Obviously, we rely on them to provide quality content. They rely on us to sell their content mm-hmm. and it's a partnership. So, um, DC outsells Marvel here. Big time. And Image is hot on Marvel's tail. Maybe past them at this point. And that's not because we push one over the other. It's because the others push themselves. You know, DC continues. As as amazed as I am, I thought for sure that with the twice monthly shipping, we were going to see people bouncing off and they've stayed. So I guess, you know... All in all, I think that um, we've done done pretty well, and I think we covered everything. So, for James and myself, I think we'll sign off for this episode, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com. 